You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Last week of July, we are taking a group to go serve at this camp. And I'm super excited for this mission trip opportunity, and it's really neat because it is for all ages. Uh, whether you're, you want to bring a family, if, you wanna, if you're single, if you want to bring a couple, whatever, this is going to be an amazing week to serve people that are disabled, whether physically or mentally, and just to love on them, to teach them God's word. And so we have one week left of registration, and so I just wanted to, to be sure to put that before all of you and let you know about that if you're watching online to be able to sign up. If you want information, go to our church website. It's on the front page. Um, You can grab me after service, text me this week, whatever you need. I'd love to give you more information because it's going to be an awesome week. We are at the end of our series on Hezekiah. Uh, this week, and it's been great. Uh, it's been neat to see this king, this a king that didn't come from uh, a line of people that were following God, but he made a decision to follow the Lord and to bring people with him and, and to bring all of Israel. And we got these great stories of his powerful prayers. We got these great stories of the victory that God brought him, uh, amazing stories of him getting rid of all the idols in, in Jerusalem and bringing people back to the Lord. But I also am excited about this week because we see that he's not perfect. He's got flaws and sins just like each one of us. And for him, it's pride. Uh, I remember watching the Super Bowl many years ago, 1992, the Super Bowl, and the Dallas Cowboys were playing the Buffalo Bills. And I don't remember the score of the game. I wasn't a Cowboys or Bills fan. Uh, I don't remember anything about the halftime show or anything about that. But there's one play that I remember, that many of you might remember. It was a play by Leon Lett. He was a player for the Dallas Cowboys. And to give you a glimpse of Leon Lett's career, he, he played 11 seasons in the NFL for the, both the Cowboys and the Broncos. He was a two-time Pro Bowler, three-time Super Bowl champion. But for the most part, people remember him for two plays. This is one of them from the Super Bowl. That big boy was just so close to, to the end zone, and yet he starts showboating, starts letting pride creep in, and he gets knocked away. And the reason I share that is this guy had a long career in the NFL, and those that have followed football probably remember that one play of Leon Lett's career. It, it, similarly with Hezekiah, we got this amazing story, but the Bible doesn't miss out on this one play of Hezekiah's career, this one play where pride crept in. And so this morning, as we look into this, I think it's a, it's a passage that kind of applies to everybody, that for most of us, pride creeps in a little bit in some places in our life. I had to laugh a little backstage, right? And so I'm just before, and I was like, God, just, 
you know, help me. I was praying, and God just make this your passage, and then I, I realized. So uh, beforehand, a couple of people are like, wow, look at you in a suit coat. And someone said, I didn't know this was a suit coat kind of church. And the reason I'm wearing a coat is this week, Sarah and I went to this pastor's conference, and I ate a ton. And so I gained a lot of weight, and I read somewhere that when you're more uh, pear-shaped, you should wear a coat to cover up the edges. And so this morning, I put on a coat, because I was like, I don't want to look bad. Especially like the camera, they say it adds 10 pounds, who knows? And so, and so I put the coat on. And so I was back there, I was like, this is all pride. What's wrong with me? Like I'm sitting here talking about being proud and wearing a suit coat to cover up my pear shape. And so this is obviously a message that I think we all need a little bit, right? If you uh, are following along in Hezekiah's life, we've seen him in the book of 2 Chronicles, the book of Isaiah, the book of 2 Kings. Chronicles, the chronicler, ends Hezekiah's reign uh, a lot nicer than the other two. It simply says, Chronicles chapter, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, says, Hezekiah had very great wealth and honor, and he made treasures for his silver and gold, and for his precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuables. He also made buildings to store the harvest of grains, new wine and olive oil, and he made stalls for various kinds of cattle and pens for the flock. He built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds, for God had given him very great riches. This is mostly how the chronicler ends the life of Hezekiah. Tells him all these great things that Hezekiah had acquired and built. That he built new buildings just to store all his extra stuff. That he was this highly successful king. And the, I love the chronicler closes it with, for God had given him very great riches. This is what Hezekiah forgot. He forgot that all this came from God. And so we're going to see, while the chronicler makes it all sound nice and smooth when Hezekiah is at the end of his life, Isaiah and 2 Kings give us the full story. That he had all these belongings, and God had given it to him, but Hezekiah forgot. Pride crept in, took over his heart, and Hezekiah began to think of himself as the one that created all this. That he was the one that gathered all these cattle and, and lambs. That he was the one with this great wealth. That he was the one with storehouses of, of excess material. It was all about Hezekiah. This is what we're going to see in the book of 2 Kings chapter 20. If you have your Bibles and following along, this is where we're at. We'll also have it up on, on the screens. Verse 12 says, At that time, Murduk Baladan son of Baladan, king of Babylon. Now, if there was ever a southern name in the Bible, I think it's this one, all right? If you just read it with a little twang, at that time, Murduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. And so under the pretense of Hezekiah had been sick, if you remember from previously, uh, he had been sick and close to death, and God came and brought, and he was given 15 more years, uh, under the cover of, we're just going to congratulate him on his health, they send this envoy from Babylon. It says, Hezekiah received the envoy and showed them all that was in his storehouse, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine olive oil his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Hezekiah was so proud. Here he is, little Hezekiah, 
from little Judea? What? People are coming to me from foreign lands to come see me? Most commentators believe that this wasn't just to congratulate him on his health, but Babylon, which was on the other side of Assyria from Judea, had been fighting Assyria for about 20 years. Babylon knew that Assyria was the big, bad uh, country that could wipe out anyone and knew that the wipeout was coming for them. And so they came and sent an envoy to create an alliance with Judea to say, hey, we got your back if, if, you, if you get ours. And so in the midst of this, Hezekiah is, is puffed up. They need my protection. They need me. Not only that, but, they, but he wants to show them, hey, hey, let me show you how powerful I am, that I'll be able to defend with you. Let me show you all the wealth I have. Let me show you the armory. Let me show you all of our weapons. Let me show you everything I have. But he gets proud. He, the, the pride builds up among him. Now, the part that we didn't read is previously, when Judea was about to be attacked by Assyria, Hezekiah had considered going and getting alliances with other countries, and Isaiah, in a message from God, rebukes him and tells him, we don't need the reliance of mankind. You have God on your side. You don't need to turn to another country. You need to turn to God. And so that's what Hezekiah did. And remember the, the siege of Sennacherib, Hezekiah turns and prays to God, and God comes and wipes out Sennacherib's entire army. God was there for him. And yet, in the good times, in the times of peace, in the times of flattery, when Babylon comes and says, wow, look at all you have. Will you be in alliance with us? Hezekiah sees the opportunity, sees the flattery, and says, yeah, let's do it. Together we can be bigger than Assyria. Instead of realizing already with God they were bigger than Assyria. And so... Pride creeps in. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride becomes, comes before destruction. And this is what we're about to see in Hezekiah's life. Isaiah the prophet, uh, Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah, that very Isaiah, is, is in these stories. And so Isaiah is there in Jerusalem, and he gets a message from, from God, and so he goes and talks to Hezekiah. And any time that there's a, a visit from a prophet that's unannounced, that's not asked for, it's often not a good thing. And so Hezekiah hears that Isaiah is at the, at the royal throne, and, and he invites him in, and Isaiah comes. It says, verse 14, Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say? Where did they come from? He already knew. God had already told him. This is why he's there in the first place. But he asked, just hoping, just hoping that Hezekiah would come clean with the full intent with this idea of an alliance. But Hezekiah says, yeah, from a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came from Babylon. You can almost hear this, this pride in Hezekiah, that he wants Isaiah, the, the prophet, the person that he respects, wants to know, hey, Babylon came to see me. To see me. Can you believe that, Isaiah? Babylon sent a group to see me. It says, the prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? Hezekiah doesn't get it. He says, they saw everything in my palace. Hezekiah said, there's nothing among the treasures that I did not show them. 
He doesn't even see that this was wrong. He doesn't see the pride that, that he was bragging about, the, the, the problem with this. It says, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. It's rarely a good sign. It says, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that, is, all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. All of it is going to be taken away. Now, the interesting part about this, this is the part that you just dive into the scripture and you see that this is God's message, that this is God orchestrating it, not the message of Isaiah, some, some guy, some contemporary of Hezekiah. Because at this time, Babylon's a small country. Babylon is a weak, powerless country. Assyria is the country that everyone fears. Assyria is the country that's going and taking over all the little countries. Assyria is the one that goes in and destroys and, and takes taxes and takes retribution and, and destroys the, the people and takes back slaves. Assyria is the one everyone's scared of. But that's not the prediction. Isaiah says, Babylon is going to come and destroy you. Babylon? Ba no one's scared of Babylon. Babylon is, is this little podunk nation that's got no power. Why, how could it be Babylon? But this is where we see this is God's word. This isn't the prediction of Isaiah, because Isaiah would surely not have said, little Babylon's going to do anything. But God knew. God knew that, that in about 100 years, Babylon would be a superpower. And that in this 100 years, Babylon would come and destroy Jerusalem, would wipe out Judea would end the reign of the kings of David on the throne. Babylon is going to be a superpower, and God knew that. And he, God continues to say through Isaiah, And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. We see that throughout the scriptures. We see the, the, these leaders and, and are taken away. This is the story of the book of Daniel is one of these uh, Hebrews that would be taken away to Babylon and would be working in the palace of the king. Verse 19 says, The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? So Hezekiah hears this. He receives it. He says, If this is God's proclamation, I can't fight it. But then we see the pride creep in again, a little selfishness. At least it's not happening in my lifetime. And so I love the story of Hezekiah, the, these chapters, because there's so many amazing things, so many great things about Hezekiah. But then we also see he's real. That none of the Old Testament characters, none of the New Testament characters are perfect. Neither are you and neither am I. Nobody but one. Jesus Christ, who we constantly can turn to as the example of who to be like. And so when we study Hezekiah each week, we've had a story that looked at Jesus as well, because studying Hezekiah is great for us to learn from, but he's not one that we want to be like. We want to be like Christ. And so we have the end of Hezekiah's life. It says, verse 20, as for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? 
Hezekiah rested with his ancestors, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. This is the story of Hezekiah. All these great things we saw, and then we end with a story of pride. This is the story of Leon Lett, so many great things and plays that he did, but all we remember is the ones where pride crept in. It's so easy for pride to creep in. But I think there's also a part of this story that, that we see is not only is Hezekiah caught up on pride, not only is he caught up when Babylon is telling him great things about him and he's so important, they need him as an ally and, and he has this opportunity to brag about all his stuff, but he also missed the blessing of God. He missed giving God the glory. He missed giving God the credit for all of this. His, his walk with the Lord was falling away. In the midst of the hard times, Sennacherib is attacking. Sennacherib is yelling out at, the, at Jerusalem. They're proclaiming all the horrible things they're going to do. They're under siege. And what does Hezekiah do? He falls to his knees and he prays. And when he's got this illness and these boils and he's at near death, Isaiah even comes and proclaims, you've got to get your stuff in order because you're going to die. What does he do? He turns to God and prays. But in the midst of the good times, when he's got this abundance of cattle and an abundance of supplies, when he's got a whole shed full of things for the armory and weapons, when the other countries are coming and, and boasting him up and building him up, he takes all the credit for it himself. He turns from God. There's a saying that says, the sunshine of prosperity is a greater danger than the storms of adversity. I love that sentence because it's so true. In Hezekiah's life, you see, in the midst of adversity, he turns to God. But in the good times, he's falling away. And I'll be honest, I, I, I'm similar in that as well. Perhaps you are. That in the midst of hard times in my life, I, I'm quick to pray. I'm quick to dive in the scripture. I'm quick to journal. I'm quick to reach out to my small group and tell them things that I need prayer for. Uh, to do all these things. But when things are going well... When it seems like just life is nice, when, when people are healthy, when there's no crisis, I might be less inclined to share that with my small group and to give God the glory. Less inclined to feel this need to get into Scripture. Less inclined to come before the Lord in prayer throughout the day because everything's going well. Same thing happened with Hezekiah. William Barclay wrote, Pride is the ground in which all other sins grow, the parent from which all other sins come. Pride sometimes takes over all of us. And we miss what God has done, and we begin to take credit for it ourselves. So how do we correct that? How do we keep from missing what God has done? How do we remain thankful and praiseworthy and come to him? There's a story in the book of Luke, chapter 17. Jesus is walking between Samaria and Galilee, and, and this area, these two people, this group of people don't always get along, but in the midst of this area on the border, there's this little colony of lepers. They're separate from everybody else because leprosy was this horrible disease. It's a highly contagious disease, and so there's many restrictions and laws that are keeping them from being near anyone else. And so Jesus is going on the way, and they begin to cry out to him. Luke 17, verse 11, says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. 
As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They have to call out from a distance because they're not allowed to get near anyone, let alone this religious leader. For a leper, if they had it, they had to, everywhere they went, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. It was highly humiliating and lonely. They were banished outside the city walls. That's why this group of 10 are together, not in the village, not near their family, not near where they grew up, but they've been banished and kicked outside. And they cry out to Jesus. Verse 14 says, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus ordered them to go because, of, because they, they cried out to him. He said, go, go see the priest. And so in this time, if you had leprosy and somehow you got clean, there was this ritual that you would go and the, the priest would have to proclaim you were clean. And so this is what he says, go and show so that they can proclaim and you can get back to the village. And all of them head out, head out to the priest because they're so excited. They look down and their skin is normal. If the priest will clear them, begin this, this process, it's an eight-day process, but they want to get started so they can go back and see their family. They take off. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. So only one of the ten bothered to come back and praise God in the midst of the good times. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Before we judge too harshly those other nine, before we question, man, they've been living, they've been outcasts, don't they have the, uh, the, the politeness to go and thank Jesus? Like I said, how many times is that our case? Things are going well, that there's something good in your life, and have you given God the glory for that? Have you praised him for that? Have you shown gratitude? Verse 18, that one lone leper says, he Uh, Jesus says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This word well can also be translated, your faith has saved you. All ten were healed physically. But the one, the one who came back, the one who had a relationship with Jesus, he was saved the one that remembered him in the midst of the the good times. They all cry out to Jesus in the midst of the hard times, right? When When they're lepers, they all scream out to him, have mercy on us. But when they've been healed, only one comes back. But that one is the one that is saved. So how do we keep from missing God in the good times? James 5.13 says, Anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. That makes sense, right? But also, anyone happy, let them sing songs of praise. If you're in trouble or you're happy, the, result, the action is the same. You go to God. This is how we remain close to him in the good times, is that we have a consistent pattern of coming to God. This is why it's so important to have a consistent quiet time, to be part of a small group, to have these consistent habits, so that way, in the good times or the bad, we continue to go to God, to turn to Him. Because there's good times, and in the midst of those good times, that's often when Satan wants to attack. 
Right? We see this in Matthew over the course of chapter 3 and 4. Jesus has been baptized and the, the Holy Spirit comes down and the heaven opens up and we hear God. It's this beautiful moment. And then Jesus goes off in the wilderness and this, that point is when Satan attacks, when Satan tempts. Satan sees these pinnacle moments in our lives and he's quick to attack. And so we need to be ready to, in the midst of if we're happy, to sing songs of praise. Because James 1.17 also says, For every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything is of God. So let us not miss that. Let's not miss in the midst of our good times. Often we, we come and we talk about turning to God and, and for comfort and for peace. But what about... This morning, if we talk about turning to God in the midst of our joy, in the midst of our blessings. This morning, we're going to have an interactive point right here, right? There's going to be someone sitting near you, and I want you to turn to them, and I want you to share this sentence. I praise God for, and then fill in the blank. There's got to be something in your life that we can praise God for. In the midst of uh, illness, in the midst of hard times, God is still blessing us with life, with breath, with family, perhaps with a job, maybe a new shirt. I don't know. There's got to be something that you could bless God, that you could praise God for. So today, I don't know if you're at the, one of these high points like Hezekiah was and pride crept in. Perhaps you're at one of these struggling moments when Hezekiah was reaching out to God. Either way, Let's praise him. So if you'll take 10 seconds, turn to the person next to you and, and then let them respond to you. I praise God for, and let them know. Let's go ahead and go. All right, hopefully you were able to think of one thing pretty fast, but now I want you to think of two. What is something else in your life that you praise God for? Turn to that same person and say, I also praise God for, and fill in the blank. Your second thing, go ahead and go now. If you're watching online, feel free to type it in. Type in the comments, I praise God for what? We all have something to praise God for. And so hopefully at this moment you just saw, I could quickly come up with two things. And there's probably a lot more. One of those things is Jesus Christ. Of all the things he's given us, the, anything that we might have listed here this morning pales in comparison to what Jesus gave us, which is salvation. His death on the cross and his resurrection allowed us, to, for those that believe, to have eternal life. And so each Sunday morning, we have communion, and we have communion stations here at, at the corners, and, and we're going to just have a time of, of praise, a time to say, I praise God for your son. I praise God for my salvation. I praise God for eternity in heaven. I praise God this morning. I praise God. 
And so in a second, we're going to dismiss you to go grab communion, to bring it back to your seat and just spend a moment praising God for the blessing of Jesus Christ, for the blessing of salvation, and for any other blessings that you may have. Let us not miss that it was God, not us, that has done all these things. Lord, we just thank you for your, your blessings. God, we thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, I just pray, let us not miss it as Hezekiah did. You had given him so much, and yet he saw it was his. God, let this morning be a reminder that every good and perfect gift is from you. That anything that we have to praise, whether that's, that's just being waking up today and breathing, whether those praises are a new promotion or a birth of a child, whatever those praises might be, they're all from you, including your son, Jesus, who died for us. And let this time of communion be a praise, a time of thanks and of gratitude for your son who came and conquered death. We praise you in your name.